I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2021 Strip-Till Farmer podcast series, supported by the Andersons. In today's program, we get some insight and experience-based advice from one of Strip-Till's pioneers, having helped develop the practice more than 30 years ago. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you will be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to the Andersons for their support of this podcast series. A nutrient management program is essential to maximize crop productivity and yields. The key is providing the right nutrients at the right time throughout the growing season. The Andersons' high-yield programs make it easy to plan a season-long approach for many row and specialty crops. Download yours today at andersonsplantnutrient.com slash high yield. Well, when a friend came to Hudson, Illinois farmer Rich Fulmer to discuss no-till corn yield challenges compared to conventionally tilled acres, the conversation was a catalyst for developing an early strip-till system. Rich accepted the challenge of finding a solution that would warm the ground and dry it out enough to plant while still preserving the principles of soil health. The solution engineer a piece of equipment that tilled only an 8 to 10 inch wide strip while leaving the rest of the surrounding ground undisturbed. With a homemade 12 row bar and some crude row units to clear a path in the field, Rich invented the mid-mount dual placement strip till toolbar that is being used by thousands of corn belt farmers. In today's strip till farmer podcast supported by the Andersons, we share excerpts from editor Frank Lesseter's conversation with Rich discussing some of the early motivations for establishing a strip-till system, the best time to build berms, and financial incentives for making the switch to the practice. I think you're pretty much the grandfather of strip-till and got it developed. But let's start a little earlier. Did you grow up in Illinois on a farm or what? Yep. I live near Bloomington Normal now, but I grew up about 35 miles north of here at uh, Graymont, Illinois, Graymont Flanagan area. Mm-hmm. And grew up on a farm. We had the cattle and hogs and the corn and beans. And after I got out of college, to uh, which I went to college at Illinois State University in, in Bloomington Normal, and had an opportunity to work for a guy, uh, Paul Bates was his name. Mm-hmm. And when Paul retired from farming, I had an opportunity to move back here to farm his farm. And so I've been here 46 crops just north of Bloomington Normal, a little town called Hudson. Sure. So how how are you farming? What kind of tillage you're using? Well, a little bit of everything. We got no till. We got no till beans. Uh, we've got uh, we use some strip till, and we even do some tillage with the strips first, and then the tillage following it. We've got all mm-hmm. kinds of ways depending right. on the farm and the landowner. Right. So how many acres are you farming? Uh, a little over twenty five hundred. Oh, wow. Good for you. So tell me now what happened after you got back farming and lead me into the Progressive Product Company. Well, with the Progressive Company, I kind of got into manufacturing quite by accident. I built a tillage system that was a caddy with three rows of Danish tines in 1980. And I built that system on our farm to carry a 3.20-foot soybean drill. And so we were going to till the ground and drill the beans all at the same time. And people saw what I was building. They liked it. Neighbors would come. Pretty soon I was selling them locally. 
And that's what started the business of Progressive Farm Products was that one item. And then uh, the thing that really got Progressive going was in 87, uh, I designed what we called the twin frame sprayer. It was a wheel boom sprayer that looked much like a fuel cultivator frame. Followed the ground and kept all the nozzles at the proper height and that. That was really the thing that took the company and got it really going. We sold hundreds and hundreds of those all over the country. Didn't get into the strip till part until about, I started working on that project about 88. Let's let's talk about that. What made what got you into thinking about what eventually well, got called strip till? Well, we didn't know what else to call it, but a friend of mine <laughs> was coming down west of Springfield and he'd been no-tilling a couple of years and he was frustrated with with the yields. They just weren't he had some conventional and some no-till and there was a horrible difference. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, man, he said, I got to come up and pick your brain and see if we can come up with something to save this. I want to get rid of the field cultivator, but I don't know what to do. I've tried to put some colders on the planter and couldn't get the ground warmed up and dried out quick enough. And, you know, you're putting the colders on a planter, a couple colders. And he says, uh, six tenths of a second later, you're planting the seed and you don't get a lot of warming and drying. Right. And he had it all figured out. You know, but he just didn't didn't know what I want to know what you want to do. Yeah. And so I said, well, we need to work on this a while and think a little bit about it. So I started thinking about it. And you know, a month or so later, we got back together and I said, well, I'll tell you what, we need to till the ground in just enough to plant on, like maybe eight or 10 inches wide sure. and leave the rest of the soil undisturbed. And now you've got the best of both worlds. You'll have your tillage, you'll have your no-till, you'll have your conservation. Uh, it'll be dry in that strip. Well, I've already done that. I said, no, we're not going to do that on a planter. We're yeah. not going to do that. We're going to do it on a separate trip. Uh-huh. I really don't want to do that. I said, well, if you're asking how to improve it, that's the only answer I got. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we built a bar and a homemade bar 12 row and built some crude row units at first to kind of clean a path. And later we kind of perfected them before we went into actual production in 92 and uh, give him a few years to test it, and it worked pretty well. Hmm. He got a little, got a black strip. Uh, he would go out and lay that out ahead of time, and then a couple of days later, when he was ready to plant, the ground was warmer and drier, and he uh, he was happy. Yeah. So then we thought maybe we hit a home run there, so we had to figure out what to call it. And the only thing we could think of was strip till. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what was the immediate response from? Did you see higher yields? Did you get the plant earlier or what? Well, both. Because the guys with the straight no-till, we were looking at that thing and and we'd have to wait. Here's the other guys running with the fuel cultivators and and whatever else, and they're running and planting. And we're waiting, you know, three, four more days before we even attempt to do that. And I'm talking no-till corn into bean stubble. And it was cold and damp underneath that bean residue. And and at the time, we we were doing an average job of spreading the pods out behind the combine in the fall. We could have done better, but things were, got better as time went on with how we handled residue. But it just was cold and wet under there. And we discovered that if you just went out and, and opened the ground up and made eight or 10 inches is all you needed, and then the ground was nice and warm and dry. Mm-hmm. What I had seen uh, without the strip where we did it side by side I noticed that a couple days after you planted without the strip that one year, it was a little bit damp, you know, and about time you could think it could run, then you get another little shower, and it was one of them kind of springs. It was a little damp, but 
where the strip had run or the people with the cultivators, they, they had a dry seed bed that was warm and dry and planted fine and had good stands. The, the straight no-till that time, it was planted, you know, and it looked good when it went in and got planted and the colder opened the ground and everything. And the problem is that two days later, when the ground started to dry out, the I called it scrolling, where you'd squeeze the seed trench shut, it started to open back up from the drying and shrinking of the soil, and you could actually see the kernels. That's not good. That really got me thinking there that, uh, you know, this strip till might be a very important way to do no-till. The no-till purist doesn't like to hear that, but uh, it's kind of a compromise between that and full-width tillage, I should say. So that scrolling really bothered me because you'd lost the seed-soil contact. And again, I'll, I will clarify, it was a wetter-than-usual spring, but the no-till kind of suffered under that situation. But where the strip was run, and I remember Cliff Roberts coined a phrase that he allowed me to use. His phrase was, you're fooling the corn into thinking a field cultivator went by. <laughs> That's pretty good. So the, the idea of building berms in the fall, did you have that right from the start, or were you building them in the spring or what? We started out building them in the fall because we, if we had time, we could get it out of the way so we didn't have to, to do it in the spring when we're sure. thinking about spraying and planting and, and all that other stuff. But I learned a lesson there, too, on a couple of our fields. We had some rolling ground uh, west to where our, our base is here, and we did them in the fall, and we got a whole lot of rain that December uh-huh. after that fall. And it washed some pretty deep gullies down the knife track where, where the strips were laid. And so we started being careful which farm we did it and which farm we didn't. We would do the flat ground. You could do it in the fall, but any rolling ground or that had some hills in it, uh, like these couple of fields did, we would only do those in the spring before we planted. Mm-hmm. And we were using a combination of uh, liquid 28% nitrogen and uh, P and K all put down in the strip at the same time. And uh, so we, with 28, we could get along doing that very well in the spring and planting, you know, a couple of days later. And hydrus, I would have been a little more nervous in the spring planting so close behind it. But being as we were 28% nitrogen, uh, it, it worked good in the spring. It just took another day or two to do it. What kind of yield response did you get early on? That was a shocker because the first couple of years when we did it, we were over 20 bushels to the acre. Wow. Yeah, and that that really, of course, all that does is get you more excited all the time (laughs) when you start coming out with those kind of results right out of the chute. But I remember my buddy that I started to design this whole thing for there, he was seeing yields, you know, anywhere from 7 to 10 to 12 Mm -hmm. in the, you know, west in the Springfield area. He was seeing pretty good yields in. He said, well, worth it. And it was a homemade unit, you know, it didn't take sure. much to put it together, but but it, it solved what he wanted to do, and that, that's what kind of got us all going in that direction. Yeah, well, you know, you, you talked about no-till and the pure no-tillers and alone, and you've, if you have 50 no-tillers in a room and you ask them what their system is, there's probably 25 or 30 different systems that they're doing. Yes, sir. And yes, the, same, sir. the same thing is true of strip-till. This guy's doing something, the next guy's not doing it at all, and... Uh, somebody believes I want to build all my berms in the spring. Others want to build them all in the fall. It's amazing when we survey these people how many, how what the split is between fall and spring berms. And I don't have the data right in front of me, but there's more spring berms 
than I would have thought they were, but then probably some of it is people didn't get them built in the fall. Well, and I noticed too, what I've seen the last couple of years, there's a couple of companies over east of us here, uh, where guys have uh, put their strips on in the fall, but then they got a spring uh, freshener tool, so to speak. Sure, right. Where they go back and they just kind of freshen the strip up in the spring, you know, just mm-hmm. mm, maybe some clods or whatever didn't right. winter over good, and it makes it nice and fine and makes a good seed bed to plant in. Yeah. I will say this, I learned over the years uh, in doing it on our own farm, the strip till, that we had to be very careful that we could keep that planter on top of that strip. Because if you on the side of a hill or something and you, you would get off of it just an inch or two, those corn plants, you could see them very easily. Uh, those corn plants really showed up as stunted compared to the ones that were in the strip itself, in the black uh, strip of soil. A big difference in how the plants looked and how they emerged. Those would not come up as quick. And when they did, they were kind of straggly. And somebody said a corn plant that comes up three days later is a weed. Well, I don't know about that, but that's what they look like. <laughs> right, right. You know, and uh, so you want all them up at the same time, as you well know. You yeah. want to get the stand up and get it off to a good start. But I I did notice that was a, a another thing that it pointed out to myself that, wow, you know, there's a difference right there because the no-till is what was happening a couple inches off center compared to the tilled when you got the planter back on center and you could walk through the field and see that it stuck out like a sore thumb as somebody said it really was noticeable so then the key was to trying to keep the unit on try to keep the planter on the strip as best that you could gps probably had as much to do with the expansion of strip till than anything because you could, it, it could keep the planter on that strip yeah helped a lot it helped yeah. a lot and then now with the ability uh, if you can steer the planter with GPS as well, now you can duplicate it even more accurately uh, with RTK. You can you can steer it to the dead center of the strip every time on a side of a hill or right. or any kind of situation. If the planter can steer itself, uh, which uh, is is the new thing, uh, then you've really got you've got it you've got it nailed down. Because what we're running into. Uh, with 16 row strip till barn running a 24 row planter the last couple of years, that's really difficult to do uh, without some way to guide the strip bar. In flat ground it works great, but on the hillside, if the, if the say the strip bar wants to drift a little bit, the planter maybe wants to drift differently. It's harder to keep them on there when they don't. I like it to match, you know, mm-hmm. as best you can the planter and the, right, the strip right. bar in configuration. Yes, sir. It, it does. It really does. Are you using cover crops in your operation? We have some. We haven't got very much yet, but we're looking at it. We, we've tried it. Two years we've done some. And what I did notice about those, and, and uh, what started out is we started doing the cover crop because we were going to, so so to speak, get paid for it. Well, that didn't really work out the way we had, had hoped to. But nonetheless, we put them out anyway. It was rye, cereal mm-hmm. rye. And in that cereal rye, we went and planted the first year, two years ago in 2019, we planted cereal rye in the fall with our fertilizer. We just spread it with a fertilizer uh, floater truck. Yeah. And the rye come up and it grew and it looked really good. We went into spring and planted that rye. Uh, you know, it was uh, five feet tall mm-hmm. and didn't burn it down. We didn't use any chemical to burn it down. We planted it tall and then knocked it down, see? And then the thing was amazing about it, Frank, that really opened my eyes to the uh, cover crop uh, was the fact that 
we didn't spray any chemical on that farm all summer. Wow. On those soybeans. We had no pre-plant chemical, and we had no post-applied chemical, and we had no weeds, mm-hmm. no water hemp, no palmer, none of those nasty ones. We had no weeds at all. Just a little strip kind of around the waterway, a few button weeds, butter yeah. plant or velvet leaf, but no water hemp, not one plant in the first 80 acre field that we did it on. I was, I was shocked. <laughs> so um, on this berm with cover crops, so with the strip till unit, you were able to get that rye off the berm? We actually planted that directly into the rye. There was no strips in that field. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I better clarify that. That was planted directly into the rye, no-tilled into the rye with no strips in that situation. Okay. Can a strip tiller make cover crops work? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I Uh, got friends that are doing it, uh, and we're going to more and more of that on our farm, too. I've just been watching, you know, carefully seeing what people are doing. But we've got a couple of friends west of us that are doing it, and they're they're doing all kinds of things. They got rye, they got turnips, they got radishes, they got everything, and they're stripping into that uh, seed bed to plant. Yes, sir. Yeah. So the row unit will get the rye off to the strip, yes. right? Right. Yes. Yes. We got a few people building little wider berms and then planting like twin row corn on it. Will that work? If you can get the strip wide enough, it is. I tried to build a strip bar several years ago. Uh, well, right uh, uh, right before I, I sold my business, I tried to build one for a guy out in Iowa that had a, uh, a Great Plains twin row planter. Hmm. And he wanted an extra wide strip, so we built him a special row unit. And uh, But even then, he was on contours. And it made it hard to stay on with two rows. Sure. One's one's hard enough, but two strip rows, uh, twin rows, made it a little harder. They were uh, eight inches apart, mm-hmm. the twin rows on each row unit, eight inches apart. And he had a little trouble. One would be on, one would be kind of off, and that it it needed to be somehow improved. Um, but we didn't go too much farther on it. We didn't see a lot of move to the twin row planter, so we didn't make it an actual right. production product. It didn't it didn't go into manufacturing. It was more for prototype testing. Right. Well, you're one of these farmers who uh, built some units in the farm shop and ended up putting together a pretty good business and uh, expanded it. But we don't seem to see many of these farmer shop ideas turning into companies anymore, like happened with you in the 1980s and a bunch of others. Howard Martin was another one that uh, yep. did this, and there was a number of them. Uh, yep. we, we seem to be past the farm shop ideas coming to market these days. Yeah, I used to enjoy, you know, a lot of the different farm magazines, the publications out back in the a couple decades ago. They would always show the farmer build ideas where a guy would build his own planter or build his right. own whatever, yeah, sprayer, what have you, you know. And some of those guys were really fun to, to read what they did and that. But nowadays you don't see much of that kind of stuff in, in publications because there's more other subjects to cover. But it's kind of a lost art, you know, because I wonder today, are farmers still building a lot of their own things? We've kind of lost track of that. When I look through your book that you sent me that you wrote, you got a lot of farmer ideas in there, a lot of pictures. And it was kind of neat what guys had worked on to come up with just to try to make it easier to farm. Right. And some of those guys out there have some great ideas. <laughs> 
Well, in those early days, people weren't weren't happy with the planters or the drills that were on the market, so they were more than willing to try something. And I still remember we did a story, and you probably saw it too. The guy out of Kansas took an old combine and turned it into a no-till planter. And, uh, he had the planter mounted on the front of it, didn't he? Exactly, right. Did it that way. Yeah, I think I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So are you no-tilling any corn, or are you strictly strip-till? We're strictly, yeah, we're not no-tilling any corn right now. We're no-tilling the beans, but we're not no-tilling any of the corn. We've pretty much stayed, if you can do just a little bit of the, like a strip tillage or a tillage operation, it still looks like the best way for corn to me. I, I may be wrong, Frank, but I'm not convinced that we can still get the good corn yields just going out and, and planting it like before you so on your farm, what would you say the yield advantage is for strip-till over no-till corn? I would still say you can get 20 to 25 bushel. I'll still make that statement today. Okay. I've had guys in the past that I've dealt with that, that's been almost 40 bushel to the acre sure. where, they, where they've where they tried some tillage. You know, I, I told a story years ago about a guy that, you know, didn't believe me about the strip-till, and he'd been no-tilling for 15 years, and and he said, my yields are just as good as anybody. And I said, well, you know, good for you. I, I don't know your farm. I just said that, have you ever tried to till a little bit, you know, like take borrow neighbor's field cultivator and just work a couple rounds in the middle of a field? No, I, I'm not going to do that. And I said, well, I just was wanting you to do it for curiosity because you've had a lot of no-till history. And then right. you could tell me what it yielded. Well, he was mad at me for suggesting it. <laughs> but anyway, he come back and uh, a year later, and found me, I was at Louisville exhibiting, and the guy come up to me, you know, and, and I thought, oh, boy, I remember this guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really get chewed on, see? And he come up to me, and he shook my hand, and I said, how you doing? And he said, you remember me? And I said, I do. He said, I owe you an apology. And I thought, oh, wow, that sounds good, you know. That, that, yeah. that sounds real good. Okay, what did I do? Well, he said, uh, I did what you said to prove you wrong. Yeah. I said, I'm going to prove you wrong, and then I'm going to come back and tell you. <laughs> well, he said, I'm going to tell you what. He said, I'm to confess to you that my corn was 38 bushel better where I made those two rounds with the neighbor's cultivator compared to the pure no-till. Yeah. He said, where's my closest dealer to buy a strip-till bar? <laughs> and I'll never forget that story. Right. So what's going to happen with strip-till? Is it going to continue to grow? Is it going to cut into minimum till acres or no-till acres or what? Well, I think it's going to continue to grow. There's a bunch of people coming out. Now, I'm out of the manufacturing side sure, now. Right. But there's a bunch of people coming out with some new row units and some new ways to do it. Uh, I mean, there's, 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 there's anything. There's technology gets better as the time goes on. But we've got a young company over here just uh, 10 miles to the west of us that's uh, developing a uh, strip-till row unit right as we speak. And it, it's a nice-looking unit. It's got a lot of adjustment. I don't know the cost of the row, but I know that they've got a lot of features on it. And so that somebody, they're just starting into it. So right. obviously they feel there's there's some promise into what they're doing uh, because they, they wouldn't have invested into it if they didn't think there was a future. And so I think based on watching these guys come up with new equipment, yeah, I think it's here to stay yet. I think it's probably going to rob acres from both sides. We'll get back to the discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, the Andersons, for making this podcast possible. A nutrient management program is essential to maximize crop productivity and yields. The key is providing the right nutrients at the right time throughout the growing season. 
The Anderson's high-yield programs make it easy to plan a season-long approach for many row and specialty crops. Download yours today at andersonsplantnutrient.com slash high-yield. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Rich Fulmer reflecting on some early strip-till tips he offered as part of a 2019 article that appeared in No-Till Farmer magazine. Let's go back to the article we did on you and 11 things, and I'd like to just walk through each of these. And Number one is um, sidewall smearing is not as big a problem in strip-till. Give me a couple comments. Well, the thing is, again, it's like we were talking a little bit ago, when you're planting in cold, wet soil with the planter, you're definitely going to get sidewall smearing. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get that scrolling, as I called it, when the soil shrinks back as the sun dries it and warms it. Where with strip till, you've got a tilled situation there that's a warmer, dry seed bed. When the seed bed's warm and dry, smearing is not an issue. Mm-hmm. It only is an issue, in my opinion, when the soil is too wet. Yeah. Number two was never plant in dual tracks, dual tire tracks. That's very true. Yep, because you've got a compaction issue right underneath there. It's hard for the real unit. Nowadays, they've got hydraulic downforce and things that might offset that a little bit. But then we didn't have that back then right. where that planter unit would would ride up and you couldn't hold the depth. If you wanted to plant corn at two inches, you couldn't hold it in the wheel tracks. Mm-hmm. And so the strip till was another good thing because there was no wheel tracks ever planted in. Like a field cultivator, you got dual tracks wherever the cultivator ran. Right, And you can tell when a guy field cultivated a field too wet, those dual tracks from your tractor showed up two months later right. in the soybeans. It, it, it was really stuck out. And so with strip till, you never had to plant in a dual track or wheel track of any kind. Fuel savings with strip till versus conventional or minimum till. Yeah, like uh, with the corn, for example, you're going to strip till and plant your corn. We even strip tilled some beans through the years. Just mm-hmm. for fun of it to see, well, we were actually putting some fertilizer under there uh, is what we were doing, stripping the head of the beans. Normally, you wouldn't do that, but we were trying to see if a few extra pounds of potash in a strip made a difference rather than, say, broadcasting it. That's that's another story. But, uh, yeah, it uh, it definitely saves money because you don't have to own a chisel plow. You don't have to own a soil finisher. You don't have to own all this extra equipment that you're paying for that you got to insure, you got to maintain, you're burning a lot of fuel. When you're running a big four-wheel drive tractor out there and it costs you $150 an hour to run it with fuel and, and just hour wear and tear on it, and you're pulling a chisel plow that costs you 80000 bucks or more, uh, right. all of a sudden uh, there's a lot of advantages to not do that. Right. We, have, we haven't owned a chisel plow for years. What The little bit we do, I was mentioning to you, the one farm where we have to do it, my brother chisels it for us because we don't have a chisel plow, sure. a deep pillage tool on our farm, and nor do I want one. <laughs> and so uh, so we have to pay my brother to do that field for us just because that's how it is for the moment. Right. So in your strip-till system, uh, how many trips would you make over the field? Walk me through the trips you make. Well, we just make the strip. Uh, the, the trip with the strip bar would put on the – like spring strip, we'd put on 28% nitrogen and the, and, the, and the dry fertilizer or liquid fertilizer, which the last few years we've been liquid fertilizer, P and K, real low salt. So we okay. go liquid. And <clears throat> you put that on, that's all in one pass. And then the planter comes along and plants, 
And of course, you also got spraying uh, on corn. We've been going to a herbicide program where we only spray once. We don't spray pre-plant. We spray after the corn's planted up to where it's four or five inches tall before we spray it. So one application with the sprayer takes care of all of the weeds uh, on the corn. So we've went away from even two sprayings on the corn. Mm-hmm. So we we got yeah, you got you got tillage you got the uh, uh, you got the planting and then you got one spraying on it. We've been doing Y drops on nitrogen for a little extra nitrogen. That is a trip that we choose to make. Wouldn't have to, yeah. but we do it on our farm and we do it on the majority of our acres, almost all of them. And uh, so they're what three four trips total. Then yeah. you combine. Then if you made false trips, you'd have another trip. Yeah, well, and then, then you, if you made the fall strip, you just wouldn't do any strips in the spring. Then right. you'd just start planting in the spring. So you'd still have that uh, about four trips total. The right. strip and the planting and the spraying and, you know, in our case, the wide dropping of, of the nitrogen. So are you into a traditional one-year corn, one-year soybean rotation, or you got some continuous corn or what? We have no continuous corn. Uh, we dropped the continuous corn in 2009. We were in continuous corn on some farms. Uh, for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And something happened, Frank, when they changed the genetics of corn, the corn yields and continuous corn dropped off drastically, dramatically. And something changed. We, we fertilized the same. We tilled the same. We did this. We did that. Strips were the same. Everything was the same. Then the corn yields after 09 started to fall away. And the only thing I can put my finger on, and this is only my opinion, Somebody will say I'm crazy, and that's okay. <laughs> it's my opinion. It's right. the fact that genetics in our corn changed that year. Mm-hmm. With the smart stack stuff, it's not built, in my opinion, for continuous corn. My opinion only. So we never go continuous corn anymore. Now, we do run a rotation uh, two-year beans sometimes. Sure. Corn, two-year beans, and then corn. But never more than two years of beans back-to-back because we've noticed we can plant beans two years in a row, and we see no yield drag at all. Mm-hmm. But beans have been, the last five years or so, have been more profitable per acre than corn where I live. Sure. And so you go where the money is. Right. And I, so we've been running that one-year corn, two-year bean thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On corn and soybeans, are you buying stack varieties or uh, pick yes. and choose? Oh, you do. Okay. Uh, we, buy stack, we buy stack varieties uh, for the corn. Of course, we're buying the, the, the extend the flex type soybeans this year that we can do either dicamba or Liberty on. Mm-hmm. I, we are going to have some enlist beans. Uh, my son ordered. He's in charge of all that. I work for him now. <laughs> but we're going to have some enlist beans uh, that he's got on some farms. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of like you. I work for our son. He's running the company, and I work for him. There also, you go. <laughs> also gives, gives me the opportunity to do pretty much what I want to do. And if you have well, a comment, here. and if I have, if we get a compliment for something, I take it. And if it's a problem, I tell people they got to go talk to him. I do the very same thing, Frank. You and I are on the same page there. <laughs> I kind of like the ability of not having to make decisions anymore. <laughs> right. So you har- you harvest a crop of soybeans in the fall, and you're going to strip till it in the corn. Where do you put the rows? In between the old soybean rows, or on top of them, or what? Both done both ways. Which works, best, which works best. Doesn't seem, doesn't seem to matter. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem to matter. It's a little easier to lay it between the old rows, but yeah. putting it on top of the, the the old row is not a problem either. Our our strip bar, 
when we designed those row units, we did not ever use a swivel coulter. Okay. It was a rigid coulter from the get-go. It could flex up and down, but it did not swivel. And it's very easy. It's like having a whole bunch of rudders across there. It keeps the bar pretty straight. So it's easy to run on top of the old bean row, which is not ridged anyway, because, you know, it's no-till. But it it works either way. I don't see a problem either way in, in as far as your crop, a corn following, whether yeah. it's between them or on them. All right. So the next item was fertilizer savings, and because uh, you go to root zone banding, you get it down there where it wants. So there's some savings with fertilizer with strip till, right? Yeah, about half on the on the P and the K. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's a big cut, big cut. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, nitrogen, we don't we don't scrimp on the nitrogen part. You got to have that, no matter how you call it. But the P and K, we found out by putting it in a small area, uh, you can get by with about half of what you were broadcasting because you're only covering the area where the corn is. You're not, you're not putting it in all those parts per million or billion, if you want to say of soil and spreading it out, you're putting it right where the plant can, can utilize it. Yeah. And so we, we feel that uh, the, the savings is well worth that. Yeah. And no yield drop. Oh, that's great. So the next one would be a spring strip till might make more sense. And in the fall, particularly when you're applying uh, nitrogen and some other fertilizers? Uh, particularly if you're using liquid nitrogen, uh, they don't like you to put that on in the fall in the strip. You have to put it on in the spring yeah. uh, with like 28%. But that that's the only only difference. And I think uh, the spring, again, is, is it works better, I believe, in the flatter ground. On the hillsides, depending on the kind of winter you have, or early spring, you could get some erosion down the strips if you're because somewhere you got to go up and down the hill, yeah. and you could get some erosion in those situations. Uh, so the spring strip seems to be the best way to go. So uh, strip tills that shine in a, in a dry year or a wet year? Oh, I I think the yields shine better in a dry year because you haven't disturbed all that soil between the rows, and you still got residue there to hold the moisture. Mm-hmm in between the strips. So I think in a dry year, it does show up better than it does in a wet year. Now, one thing about a wet year, if you've got the strip laid, uh, that's the first thing that's going to warm and dry in a no-till situation, though. So that does complement the no-till planter because you've got that black strip eight or 10 inches wide that you're going to plant on, mm-hmm. uh, where you'd be forced to wait a few, several days in a wet spring before you can no-till. Last year, we had a wet spring. And we had these five inch, these 50 year rains at one time. And, and the no-till, straight no-till, uh, it, it had to wait. It had to wait several days before it would be, it would go in the yeah. neighborhood. So for all of us, yeah. Have you looked at uh, no-tilling beans before you strip till corn in the spring? Yeah, we plant beans first now. that We planted probably a fourth or better, about a third of our beans this past year, we planted before we ever planted any corn. Mm-hmm. We try to plant them as early into April as we can, and then plant the corn. If you had your, you could pick and choose the days. I, I would plant the beans anywhere from the 10th to the 15th of April, and try to plant corn. The nice part would be if you could plant it in the last week of April. Sure. Sometimes the weather doesn't allow that, but that that's it best best case scenario would be that for us. What uh, kind of yield uh, gain would you get on soybeans planted three weeks earlier than after corn? I think if you can plant the soybeans earlier than than later, 
then we do that with the later maturities. We try to plant them early. And then the earlier maturity beans, plant them after the corn because we're spreading our risk out. Okay. But I, I I can tell you five to seven bushels on early planted beans, especially if we're in that three, six, three, seven uh, maturity range, we're better off to plant them early. I don't right. see a great deal of difference in like a three, one or a three, two bean. I honestly can't see a big difference between April 15th and, and May 5th either. So right. it's just the maturity of the bean I well, from what I've observed. Are you in 30 inch rows? Uh, yes, sir. Corn and beans. Yes, and sir. do you use the same planter without any changes for both soybeans and corn? Correct. Okay. Yes. Um, next one was uh, different amount size by seasons. So if you're building in the spring, how wide, how tall will your berm be versus in the fall? In the fall, it's okay to build the berm a little taller and change the disc sealers in the back to roll the berm a little, little higher. And, and that's the goal because you know it's going to winter and settle naturally. Mm-hmm. In the spring, you got to keep the berm a little bit shallower because it doesn't have any wintering. Yeah. And if you get the berm too high, and I've learned this, I've made this mistake, so I've learned this. <laughs> uh, you get the berm too high uh, in the spring, and you don't get them shallowed out in the back and shallow that berm height. When yeah. you go along with the row cleaner on the planter, you've rolled away the two inches that you really wanted, and now you're back planting in wet dirt again, wet mm-hmm. soil. So you want a shallower one, in my opinion, in the spring. Uh, if it's flat, I'm tickled with that. But right. you want a shallower one so that you don't have to roll hardly anything away. Your goal is to just maybe kick a few clods out of the way with the row cleaners and plant the corn. But if you get that thing mounted too much and it doesn't settle, you're going to have to move some soil because your depth is terrible for the row unit because your gauge wheels are trying to balance themselves on top of the mound mm-hmm. of the row unit. So shallow in the spring and a little bit taller in the fall is my response. Would you use a different knife between fall and spring? Yep. In the fall, we'd use a mole knife, but we used to call they still call them mole knives. Use that. But in the spring, you change and go to a more standard knife that's not as aggressive. Right. The ground works easier in the spring anyway. Right. So using just a standard, uh, like standard ammonia knife to mm-hmm. put it on, you know, in that application. Yes. Right. Yeah. Not as aggressive. No. Right. Well, the next one is rolling baskets, but I want I want to read a quote that you made back in 2009, and we'll talk about yep. it. Yeah. You said I've worked with strip till for 20 years, and I've seen the devastation of what a basket can do in the fall if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> That's correct. So tell me about baskets in the fall versus the spring, et cetera. Baskets in the fall, they they have a hard time breaking up the clumps because the ground's a little bit harder coming off of the row unit and making the strip. You got to know what you're doing with the baskets in the fall because if you mash it down too hard in the fall with the baskets, and that again depends on how much pressure you want to run on them. Some people have now got to where they're running a little looser and not putting a lot on them. If you squeeze that down in the fall, uh, you're going to have a divot in the ground next spring to plant in. I'll give you an example of where I learned that when I was a little kid. My dad, one time, he had a tiling machine. We always did our own tiling on our farm growing up. My dad went out and he tiled uh, some, some, some ground out there north of our house one day when I'm in school. I was about seventh or eighth grade. Dad, uh, he he tiled the field, you know, him and my, my uncle, and 
and he backfilled it, you know, with a nice windrow of right. dirt and everything, you know, and he didn't get all done. He said, hey, when you get home from school, <clears throat> he said, I got home. He said, change your clothes and go out there with the great dirt blade and finish rolling the dirt into the rest of the tile ditch, you know, before okay. supper. So I go out there and I did that. Man, I did a nice job and looked just like what he'd done ahead of that. Well, I thought, I'm going to help him. I want to drive the tractor down that mound of dirt, squeeze it down so it's nice and flat for next spring. Mm-hmm. So I drove on it. Now, you got, you're talking a 560 International, which doesn't weigh anything. So I'm not breaking tile, Frank. I'm yeah. just squeezing that nice hump down, making it look pretty. I was so yeah. proud of that. He'd come <laughs> home, and he saw that, and he chewed on me. He said, what in the world are you doing? I said, I'm making that so we don't have to mess with it next spring. He said, let me tell you something. He said, next spring, you're going to have a hole in the ground. I said, no, we didn't, we didn't add any or take any dirt away. We just, we just pushed the dirt back down in there on top of the tile you put in today. Yeah. We, we didn't change the dirt amount. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, next spring, we'll have a hole there. And Dad was right. <laughs> and so you take that same thing. If you squeeze that mound down too hard with a strip till bar, the next thing that happens, all of a sudden, over the winter and when spring rains come, now that soil, wherever it goes, it goes down. And now you've got a depression in the ground, and that's not where you want to plant. Sure. So right. baskets, if you don't treat them right in the fall, can can be a, a, a they can cause a problem if, if you don't understand that, that method. And, again, I learned that from the old tile story. Mm-hmm. So yep. looking looking ahead at strip till, what innovations do you think we still need, or what will people come up with that's new for strip till? I think the biggest innovation is uh, that we have got to be able to uh, steer the toolbar to make okay. that toolbar as accurate as we can, and I think we also need to complement that with the ability to steer the planter to stay on the strip. Mm-hmm. But not everybody's fields in the country are like a pool table. Right. The flatter they are, the easier the job is. Right. When we got both kinds of ground, so we see both sides of the story. But I think we need to have the ability uh, to uh, steer the toolbar. Uh, I have one patent that does that, mm-hmm. that steers the toolbar and keeps it straight. And so you got GPS and a receiver, antenna, receiver, on the toolbar and you got one on the tractor and then that that uh, would steer them both and keep a straight line then you can duplicate the same thing with with the corn planter now when we get to that where we're steering both implements it'll be real easy to keep it right on the center every time within an inch of the center right right with rtk technology right technology's there uh, it's just a matter of getting the hardware to do it yeah, yeah. yep well, we've talked about an hour. We've really, uh, I see why we can call you the grandfather of strip till because it's an honor <laughs> that's innovative, well-deserved. Well, I, I appreciate it. I grew up on a livestock farm like you did, and milking uh-huh. cows and lugging hay bales is what made me an editor. My dad used, <laughs> my, my dad used to say, you just decided it was easier to tell farmers what to do rather than do the work yourself, so... Hey, I'm with you. Amen. Right. <laughs> and I've been I've been on farms in all 50 states, and I've never been on a farm that I didn't learn something. There were wow. Farms, there were farms I didn't learn a lot or saw something that shouldn't be done, but it's been great. So well, I that's will, great. Yeah, I will let you go. Thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate it. You bet. Good to hear from you, Frank. Okay. Take care. Well, thank you, Rich, for sharing some of your initial experience and benefits 
pioneering the practice of strip-till. And again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, The Andersons, for helping make this Strip-Till Farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free strip-till strategies daily e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptillfarmr and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2021 podcast series. For Rich Fulmer, the Andersons, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.